0: begin with a bit of a puzzle, this sentence, I saw a man crying, I saw a man crying. Now this doesn't really tell us very much, does it? For if we do not know the context, that is the backstory, what does this mean? Perhaps the man has been cutting onions in the kitchen, well, just normal tears that come from such things. Or perhaps uh, he's just heard an uproariously wonderful joke. Different tears, yeah? He's witnessed the birth of a newborn child. Tears of love. Or perhaps just received news. The death of a loved one. Tears of grief. If the man has just stubbed his toe, we might think that he's a bit of a wimp. Or if he claims that he was just listening to country music on the radio, well, he should probably be committed at that point. But what about this picture? I saw a man crying. I saw a man crying. We don't learn very much, do we, from this sentence, for we need the backstory, the context, to understand what's really going on. And the same is true, I believe, in our lives our tears, our laughter, our hopes and dreams, our struggles, this existence that we are living right now. What does it all mean? Well, without the backstory, without the broader context, how do we know? And this has been the project of this school year. Our sermon series entitled, The Story, coming to grips with the context that we understand, those of us who take Jesus seriously, what is this world about? What's our history? How do we understand who we are now because of this greater narrative? To our guests this morning, let me catch you up briefly. Uh, We've been really looking at Act 1, Why Story Matters. God, artist, human, sex, procreation, Satan, surgeon, Ishmael, chosen, revolution, tribes. I'm inserting now kings, which we have not covered, but if you wish to consider the kings of Israel in a little more depth, I refer you to a sermon series I preached this past summer. And today, the final scene of Act 1, exile. Another way to look at it, Chronological, about 4,000 years ago. We begin with a dysfunctional family for a couple centuries, Abraham's clan. We then turn to 430 years of brutal slavery for that family, 450 years of violent judges, 450 years of corrupt kings, ill advised by God, and now the exile, 600 years of terrible monsters. Horrible. In fact, the worst of these foreign kingdoms, these beasts, described in Daniel this way, Rome. After that, a fourth animal appeared in my dream. This one was a grisly horror, hideous. It had huge iron teeth. It crunched and swallowed its victims. Anything left over it trampled into the ground. It was different from the other animals. This one was a real monster act one in our story does not end in a particularly good place it has not been easy all along but now some six centuries of bondage exile monstrous living so what does this story have to do with us what can we learn from this phase of our narrative journey I think a particular story that I was told and actually a story that was read to me by my parents at bedtime might be of some use. You may be familiar with this book, this story. It began with Daniel and his friends in Babylon, in in Jerusalem rather. Here they are. And my parents would open up this book at bedtime and there I would be in my jammies and slippers. I loved this page. Because I loved my friends. And then the page turned, and, and Daniel and his friends, they loved their church, and I love this page too because I loved my church. And then the page turned again, his family. And I love this because I love my family. And then the page turned another time, this representing the great security of Jerusalem, walls of protection, and like any child, I love this page because I wanted to feel safe. But then my parents would turn the page. The Babylonians coming from a distance. They begin to pound away at those walls of security. And they haul off Daniel and his friends. And they go on a long journey. And they stand before their new master who has ripped them from everything they love. And the next thing you know, they're being told that they needed to eat certain foods. Now, as a little boy growing up in a vegetarian household, this page disturbed me greatly. (laughs) I mean, ugh, painful. Well, Daniel and his friends, the story goes, did not wish to eat this food. And so they went to a government official and they said, we would rather not do this. Can we please have another option? They put it under consideration. And Daniel goes and he prays. And Daniel, of course, does not look like a Middle Easterner, but rather like a Northern European, but that's (laughs) beside the point. Their prayers answered; They don't have to eat that stuff that they don't want to eat. And ten days go by, and look at the difference. My friends, ten days of bacon will do that to you right there. Look in the back. Those boys do not look good. Let that be a lesson. (laughs) And they stand up before that king. And I just knew as I was there in my jammies and my slippers that king was going to tell them, okay, you get to go home. You get to go back to your friends, back to the church you love, to your family, back to the world of security that you crave. But that's not where the story goes, is it? And perhaps many of us here today we feel estranged from our friends, and their support is not what we would wish it to be. Others of us feel perhaps abandoned by the church. We are disappointed. We are hurt. And others, our family life has not been all we had hoped for, and we're wounded. But all of us, to one degree or another, The walls of security that we crave in this world, in our lives, have crumbled. And we feel vulnerable. We feel as if we are in a kind of exile, living in a sometimes monstrous world. What do we do? The next few moments, I'd like to think about three activities, three commitments made by Daniel and his friends as they negotiated these painful realities and how that might help us as well. First, Daniel and his friends prayed. They actively communicated with their heavenly father. You see, just because they were in exile... Did not mean that they could no longer communicate. When my brothers and I were being naughty, there were three boys in the family, and my parents would send us each to our own room. We went to exile. <laughs> but what my mom and dad didn't know is we had perfected the ability to communicate through the air conditioning vents. <laughs> Bondage does not stop communication. And this is what Daniel and his friends discovered. They fought for this privilege. Daniel was even willing to die for it. The ability to communicate through prayer, even in exile, with God. It was important. Now, to bring up the subject of prayer in this day and age, I think, is wrought with some difficulty. First, I think because we have said certain things, Christians have, about prayer. We have developed certain theologies about prayer and what it's supposed to do that I think has has discouraged us about the whole enterprise. We sometimes speak like God is very, very good at solving small problems, but He is a complete failure at the big stuff. We celebrate that He helps us find keys in the parking lot. But he's no good with Parkinson's disease. We praise him when our faith-based hospital systems make billions of dollars. But where is he in our faith-based high schools? And that individual student struggling to scrape together some coin to stay in school? We talk about prayer in ways, my friends, I think, that actually pushes people away from the whole enterprise, thinking that prayer is basically manipulating God, that He might enact particular activities on earth, change and do things to our liking. Well, if that was the the principal purpose of prayer, would Daniel and his friends not just gone home immediately? It seems that prayer is not so much God changing the world because of what we say to him, but rather, first and foremost, prayer is precious communication with a loving Heavenly Father, exchanging real relationship with us. I think this is big. Another reason I think that prayer is so challenging to talk about in our day and age is we live in a world that is so noisy. Bright lights everywhere. And now through the insidious nature of technology, we can be disturbed at any moment, day or night. This is the world we live in. And so even in Christianity, we, I believe, at times have come to the conclusion that what Jesus did crossing the sea and going to a quiet place, a place of of meditation, of contemplation, of quiet interaction with his father, that that is no longer possible, and in fact it is a bit suspect. For we live in a world full of noise and we have come to believe that this is the new reality. But Daniel and his friends, they fought vigorously for those moments of quiet, guarded space where there would be real communion with God. What do you do when life has disappointed you? Friends and church and family and security, first, maintain a rich, prayerful communion with God. Second, this prayer time seemed to motivate Daniel and his friends to action. They stood up to Nebuchadnezzar and the other kings. They got involved in their community, if you will. They were engaging in seeking to make a difference in their world. Perhaps they were inspired by the words of the prophet Jeremiah writing at the time to Daniel and his friends and the other captives in Babylon. Notice... God says to them, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Apparently, participating in the act of prayer caused them to be filled up with a desire to make a difference in their world. A few years ago, the pastor Bill Hybels wrote a book um, a book all about holy agitation. A book about righteous indignation. And the basic premise of the book was that God puts in your heart and mind something that just really irritates us. Something that we find unacceptable. A justice that we must participate in. A grace that we must give. An ugliness in this world that we must turn to beauty. And you think about the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, he says, I have come to free captives, to give sight to people who were blind. Jesus woke up in the morning motivated. He wanted to change his world. He had a righteous indignation that things could be better. We read in Matthew 25, he says, Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit those in prison, make a difference in the world. Jesus woke up in the morning dissatisfied with the status quo. I resonate particularly with John chapter 2 where Jesus is in the temple, the church of his day, and he walks in and he sees that they are not speaking about his Father in heaven in right ways. They are locking people out of participation with their heavenly Father, They're saying things about God that are not true. They are making a big deal out of things that God cares little about. And they are making a little deal about things that God cares much about. And if you remember the story, Jesus turns tables upside down. He pulls out a whip. Zeal fills his spirit and he says, my church, my house should be a very different place. I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago. Friends that I went to school with. Who no longer care about God. Who have negative feelings about Christianity. And who are particularly hostile to a denomination we once shared. And I look at their lives and yes, they have made choices. But I think of their experience with the temple. Their experiences with the church. A church that has talked about God in inappropriate ways. That has made a big deal out of things that are a small deal and a small deal out of of things that are a big deal. Who at times did not stand up for racial injustice or the absolute equality of both men and women. A church who has not reflected God's character well. And I interact with those friends, and I've got to tell you, I want to turn some tables upside down and grab a whip and say the church can be better. Certainly we can do better than this. Righteous indignation. I think that Daniel and his friends first both survived and thrived in difficult circumstances because they maintained that sweet, prayerful relationship with God. But out of that prayer life came a reason to get out of bed in the morning to make a difference, to right an injustice. This is big. Finally, when I read about their story, it seems that these are filled up with hope. With hope. They believe that a better day is coming. I want to think for a minute about this point by referring, yes, just once again to the events of this past Sunday. It was about in the middle of the fourth quarter of a particular football game. And I was intrigued by what was on the television, but I have to tell you, I was more intrigued because I was watching all of the social media communication that was going on on my iPhone watching what people of this community... No, that's not specific enough. People of this congregation were saying... Um, It was, in fact, precisely at 2.53 p.m. that John and Missy Claridge posted this picture on Facebook... But let's not throw stones. Some of you were declaring the apocalypse was upon the world. Some of you were saying you weren't going to be able to go to work for a week. That you'd be happy to sacrifice a child. That that you needed to go to the hospital. I I read things. I'm your pastor. I read things that concerned me greatly in that moment. Well, um... 2.53 became 3.33. And the household of John and Missy Claridge posted another photograph with this message. (laughs) Oh, what a difference 40 minutes makes. And some of you at that point uh, posted things about God and life that, boy, um, interesting theology in this room. (laughs) (laughs) go back How do human beings act? How do we live when we think things are not going to end well? If there is no hope, there is no life. Daniel and his friends were drenched in hope. They were, in fact, let me say it, people of prophecy. They were filled up with prophecies, with predictions about a good ending to all things. I want to give you a sampling, please, both from Jeremiah and Daniel, prophesying at this time. Jeremiah uh, writes this message to the captives from God. For I know the plans I have for you, Daniel, your friends. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future that you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And the description of this hero to come, I will surely save you out of a distant place. Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. At that time declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they will be my people. Your children will return to their own land. The Lord will create a new thing on earth. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And then Daniel has these big dreams and visions. Daniel 2, a great sculpture, metallic in nature, describing the long duration of these monstrous kingdoms. But then a rock enters the scene and destroys that history. Daniel 2, but that rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel 7, beast after beast, is described. But then he comes, one like the Son of Man. Daniel 7, 13, before me was one like a Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel 8, so full of violence and conflict, finishes with this climax. The sanctuary shall be restored. To its rightful state. Who is this? Who is this, our future and hope? One coming from a distant place, yet one from among the people, one reassembling all 12 families of Israel one inviting children to the land or perhaps the lap of God, one all new, one bringing rest, one granting forgiveness, a great rock, a victorious son of man, a restored, better-than-ever sanctuary. Who is this? My brothers and sisters, Our friends let us down. The church does not live up to all of our expectations. Our families hurt us. And the walls of security that we cherish fall apart. Pray. Be filled up with a purpose in your life. Change something. And maintain hope. Who is this? Oh, we'll get to that question next week in Act, in act 2. But E. cantori a puzzle, will, 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 will you provide us a hint?